Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Good morning, everybody. Um, you know, worshiping with you like that only just further convinces me that what we have is incredibly special. And, um, you know, we're getting ready, Dan and I are getting ready to go to the Certainty Conference. Um, we get home and, and on Sunday we leave, we turn around and leave. And the theme of the Certainty Conference this year is the next generation. And... Um, Dan and I, you know, interestingly enough, we've, we've staked our whole lives on the idea that God wants to raise up another generation to follow him and to do more than what we could ever do. That's, that's, that's the whole, I mean, essentially the whole point, I've only ever my whole life worked with young people. Um, I've, I've only ever worked with, you know, middle schoolers and high schoolers and, and college age students and people in their 20s. I've only ever worked my whole ministry life with young people. And, you know, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. It's, a, it's, a, it's such a privilege. And it's really easy for me to talk about. I can stand up here like an old man and I can talk about it. Um, but you're living it, you know. I mean, all of, the, all of the pressure and the decision-making and, 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 and the wherewithal, it lies within you. The will to do what's right, it lies within you. God has given you agency. He's given you an opportunity to make a decision about who you're going to be. And I wonder, what are you going to stake your life on? What are you going to give yourself to? Do you believe, you know, I told this to Dan um, the other day, and I really, I really mean it. Do you believe that you're the next generation? And, and if you do, then you will behave like you're the last generation. Like you're the, like you're the very last before Christ's return. And you will live with that level of urgency and that level, that level of fearlessness. After uh, receiving the showbread and gathering Goliath's sword, David stood in the threshold of the sanctuary and looked out on the city of Nob and the desert that lay just beyond it. And something in David that told him it was time to run. See, the fear was still with him. He held the sword in his hand and his, his belly was full and he had a friend. But, but David was convinced in his heart that he was still alone. 
And so he took off and he began to run. He travels to the city of Gath. Gath was one of the major cities of the Philistine country and government. And his intention was to blend in among the Philistines. His thought was that if he could just go blend in with the people of the city of Gath, pretend like he was one of them, that uh, he could gather his thoughts and gather his courage. But I want, I want to remind you that, that going to blend into the world to find solutions, it always, it always leads you to acting crazy. It always leads you to become like those that you're trying to blend in with. There's no solution to your problems in the darkness of the world. And so he goes and he, he tries to blend in among the Philistines and praise God for his grace. He's immediately recognized among the people as the giant killer. He wanders into the city. He's dirty. And they look at him and they recognize his face. This is the one. This is the one that killed our champion. We know him. He's the one who they sing about. He's the one who's killed his ten thousands. And as he begins to be recognized, I imagine him a lot like Peter, you know, before the cock crowed. People people are are pointing at him and, and he can tell that he's been spotted and fear strikes his heart. And in that moment, David, in his fear, he chooses deception instead of honesty in order to escape his troubles. And so David is brought before Achish, the king of Gath. They they gather him up, and and immediately the the best solution he has for his circumstances is to flail about and spit and convulse and pretend like he's insane. And so if Achish sees that, that he's lost his mind that maybe he'll pity him and let him go. Now, I want to also warn you that any of us who pretend to go fit in with the world or try to find our solution there, if we are sealed with the Spirit of God, the only way for us to blend in is to pretend like we're something that we're not. But the problem with that, the the problem with pretending that you're of the world when you're actually of the Lord is that pretending to be insane will always lead you to insanity. It it will always lead you to spiraling out and you end up becoming the thing that you never wanted to be. Achish sees David, and he's exasperated by what he sees. It's bizarre. And uh, his response in 1 Samuel 21, 15 is, Have I needed madmen that he have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? It's like, what what can I do with this guy? Get rid of him. And that was God's grace. David didn't belong there. 
So David is then sent on his way, and, and, and David's solution from then is to go hide in the caves. And this is one of the lowest times of David's life because he's forgotten who he truly is. He doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know who he can rely on. He, he looks at the world, and he doesn't know where he fits in. Now, I want to remind you before we start today's sermon that David knows that he has allies. David's been nourished. David has a weapon. And David is a man of great might. He's already proven that to us. And yet he feels aimless. He feels aimless. And I think the truth is that many of us are in the exact same position. We're in the exact same place in our life. You Know that when you think about it, you, you consider your faith, you consider where God has brought you, you know that you are loved. You are loved, you've been loved. You have been deeply invested in. People have poured hours and hours of resource and time and energy, spiritual energy, emotional energy into your life. That God has equipped you You've been equipped. You've been taught what to do. You've been taught the what and the how. You've been taught this. You, you know it. And you've had great moments of victory in your life, and yet you often find yourself feeling, feeling distant. Now I want to tell you that the only way to break the spell of fear, which is what it is, it's a spell that's got you disenchanted, it's a spell. It's a spell of the enemy. It's a spell of your vain imagination. The only thing that can break that is to remember the promises of God. See, the one thing that David had, the one thing that could give him any frame of reference for his faith, for the purpose that he found, that he, could, that he knew that he had in life, was to remember that he had been anointed by God. See, he could go back in his memory and he could remember the day as a young boy where Samuel showed up in Bethlehem and pulled him aside and anointed him as the future king. And he had that buried deep down in his memory and he could always retreat back to what God had done in his life and he knew the promises that God had for him. And that is the only thing that could break the spell and the illusion that he didn't belong. Now, we have great and precious promises as well. The word of God has given us so many things that we can rely on. God's promises are our north star. And when we set our affections on things above and we make his promises the hope of our lives, it draws us out of the cave and into his course. It draws us out of the caves and put us, it puts us in the path of righteousness. The back of the room, um, I don't, some of you, I'm looking at the stack and I can see that already people have been grabbing the books that are on the back table. I brought about 60 books that are, I think it's a thousand promises from Scripture. Um, and so the, I, I brought 60 of these, so there's a limited number. And so after service... 
if you are in need of God's promises today, if you, if you know you need to come out of the cave, I recommend grabbing a book and, and, it's, and it's organized by all kinds of different topics. Like one of the topics is hope. And if you're in need of hope, <laughs> there are promises from God's scripture that you can take and you can, you can bury in your heart, you can memorize and you can pray to the Lord, God, make this a reality in my life. And listen, he will set you free from the way that you feel. He will. Do you hear me? He, he will. And so I encourage you to do that. I want to present to you one of these promises, one such promise. Here is a psalm that David wrote. And it contains a promise that some of us need even this morning. Psalm 31, 21 says this. Blessed be the Lord, for he has showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Can you feel where this is coming from for, for David? I mean, this is the moment in our narrative. This reflects exactly the way that he feels. He says, for in my haste, in my, my hurriedness, in my desire to make things right, I feel cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. O, the, o, the, o love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faith and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Listen, he says, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. God has given you exceedingly great and precious promises that by them we might be partakers of the divine nature. You want the character of Christ. You want to be like the God you serve. You want to be a victor. You want to be a giant killer. Lay hold on the promises that God has given you and you will become a partaker of the divine nature. If we're going to learn to be giant killers with audacious faith, we have to begin by learning to claim the promises of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would stoke the fire of, of faith in the hearts of these young people, that they would not lose their zeal because they stayed up too late dancing to mariachi music or Mexican polka or whatever that was. Um, and, and so, Lord, I, I pray that, that, that this sermon wouldn't be lost in their tiredness, the tiredness of their flesh. And all of the things that, that, that were spoken of, that Dan preached, Lord, that they would become incredibly practical this morning, that giant killing wouldn't see, seem like some sort of distant thing for a future version of them, themselves that's way more mature and more, way more faithful. And, and like, God, you have made them to slay giants even now. You've prepared them. And so, God, show them that that's a very practical thing, that there's things that they can do in faith that would allow them uh, to do what seems impossible. Help us this morning. We need you. We want to glorify your name in Christ name we pray. Amen. 
Now, as David sat in the cave of Adullam, he had his promises from God, and he sat there, and I like to imagine that he began to pray what we just read from the Psalms. And in his haste, he recognizes that he's done wrong, that he's, he's tried to make a way, he's tried to force a way in his best intentions, and, and in his flesh, he tried to do something, and it didn't work. And so he turns to the Lord, and he says, Lord, but in your strength, bring to me your strength. And as he prayed these promises before the Lord, little did he know that he had a tribe of supporters on their way to meet him. 1 Samuel 22.1 says, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren, so his family and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to meet him there, okay? And everyone, everyone that was in distress... And everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And, they, and, and there were with him about 400 men. Look at how his circumstances just change immediately. Look, look at how God brought him exactly what he needed. Look at how God was always for him. Now let's, let's consider, let's consider for, for a moment these men. These men are a lot like the army that God has given us. Is someone talking to you over there? Oh, okay. It's like, what is going on over there? You better be leading someone to Christ over there if you're doing that much talking. Um, but, but, but I like to think that what we have going on here is a lot like what David had going on with this little band of, of men. I like to, I like to think of us as the outsiders. I like to think of us as the outcasts. I like to think of us as the people that the world has forgotten, that exist outside of the world system. That without Christ, we are just distressed, indebted, and discontented people. But when we came to Christ and we gathered around him, he made us a band. He made us a band of mighty men, of warriors. He's given us purpose. See, the distressed are the people that have been suffering. These are those that have been suffering, that have had troubles in their life. They just can't get a leg up. They don't seem to belong or fit in. These are people that are in debt. They can't get ahead of in life. They can't, they, can't, they, they can't make a way. Everything they do seems to fall apart right before them. These are the discontented. These are people that can't see where they fit within the world. But these would become David's mighty men. And so here's our first key point for today. Every Christian, every single Christian needs a company to connect to. Every single Christian needs a company to connect to, to, to find themselves a part of. We need a fellowship. We need, we need camaraderie. 
We need, we need to, 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 to rely on one another. This is exactly what Dan was preaching on last night. How can you possibly live out the faith that you, you ascribe to if you don't live within the body of Christ? If you're not con- connected deeply into the tissue and the fibers of the body of Christ? If our young adult ministries are going to be successful in any way whatsoever, we need to be devoted to our leadership and to one another. And I hope that doesn't seem too obvious because a lot of you understand that intellectually, but you don't practice it the way that you should. Because there's too many Christians in our ministry that are in and out Christians. Your attendance in church is spotty at best. Your attendance in Bible study is not consistent. So many times, instead of going and seeking counsel within the body of Christ, you go and find your intimacy and you find those deep and meaningful relationships and that counsel somewhere outside the body of Christ. You're making career decisions and life decisions without ever consulting the spiritual fathers and mothers that are in your life. And in your mind, it's none of their business. Okay, listen to me. Then you will remain discontented, distressed, and in debt. I mean, and maybe you've been set free from your sin. Congratulations. But your life will not have the purpose that it should. People people seem to be leaving from time to time. They leave. They, they, They leave because of their pride. They leave because they're frustrated. Because the church doesn't revolve around them. They get drawn away because of lust. Now listen to me. Listen to me, believers. You can't afford for that to be you. You can't afford for that because... Because your pastors can't make you into giant killers if you are a cranky and sullen and self-centered people. If, not, if, like, if you come to church and nothing's ever right, you can have the best pastor ever who sits with you and meets with you and gives you all the time and energy and attention that you could ever want and you will still just suck. And your life will will just remain empty. We have to come to church and we have to come right. We have to come excited. We have to be excited about the people of God. See, unity is something that must be endeavored for. Now, there's a war for the kingdom. There's a war going on. Satan is establishing a kingdom, and God is establishing a kingdom, and the two kingdoms are warring with one another. But listen, within that that war, there is a battle raging over the unity of the body of Christ. And you sit at the center of that. Which is why in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all loneliness and meekness, see, this is the disposition of someone who wants to be trained to be a giant killer. 
lowliness and meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Are you endeavoring for unity? But ultimately, we have to ask ourselves what unifies us. Because we will never, we will never be unified. We'll always be prone to dispersion. If we don't have a cause. If we don't have a cause, if there's no work to do, what good is young adult ministry? What good is reaching our campus? I mean, what's even the point? Like, why even talk about it? Why spend so much energy? So here's the next key point. Every company needs a cause to commit to. Every company of believer needs a cause. At the moment you start forgetting the cause is the moment that you think that all of this is optional. There has to be a cause at the center of the company that you keep. Now the truth is, no matter what company you keep, there's a cause. For some of your friends, the cause used to be partying. The company that you kept was like, what are we doing on Friday? That was what they called the company. We were the, we were the what are you doing on Friday company. Some of y'all used to run with the, like, the gaming company. The company you kept was like, you wore one of these, just like this. You sat. And you cursed at one another. That was, that's the company you kept. There's all kinds of company. There's, there's the fantasy football league company. And, and the older you get, maybe uh, the golfing guys. There's company and at the center of every company, there is some sort of cause. But outside of the church, every cause is vain. And those vain causes feed into the kingdom of Satan. Those empty and vain causes, they feed into another agenda, another objective. But the body of Christ, when it comes together, the cause of Christ, the great commission, the thing that unifies us, feeds into the kingdom of God, and it gives us purpose beyond measure. Every company needs, needs a cause. Now let's look at the cause. These 400 men, they stood with David and they were ready, ready for battle. And they proved their commitment to the kingdom and to the cause time and time again. Let's take the very first battle, the very first skirmish that they ever found themselves in together. This group of 400 men come together. They set up camp. They've got their families. They're looking out for each other. It's like you can imagine it's almost like Acts chapter 2 where they're gathered together and they're trying to figure out what it looks like to be together and they're praying and they're, and they're, and, 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 and they're committing to each other and they're talking through, well, what is it that we had to do now, right? What's our objectives? What's, what, okay, and in the midst of all of that, just establishing that unity, suddenly suddenly a cause arises. Listen to this story. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1, it says, 
Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Calah, and they rob the, the threshing floors. Okay, so what's happening? There are Philistine armies that are going through and they're raiding the villages of Israel, of the nation of Israel, and they're trying to discomfit the nation of Israel by attacking the weakest places first. Now, in this moment, David could say to himself, well, what does that have to do with me? I mean, after all, where are my loyalties? I mean, Saul has refused me. Am Am I still loyal to the nation of Israel? And of course he was, because he was a man with a cause that was greater than himself. He didn't sit around and and wallow and say, forget them. They can have it. Let Saul figure it out. He didn't bemoan his station, his situation. What he did was he prayed. He said, therefore, David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto uh, to David, go and smite the Philistines and save Kayla. Okay, but the men weren't so sure. David's men said unto him, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we come to Kayla against the, uh, the armies of the Philistines? Like, we're kind of a fearful people right now. This setup that we've got going on seems real, you know, tender. Like whatever we got going on here, it seems pretty fresh. Are we ready for all that? Like are we, are we ready to go and, and, and fight? Man, I don't know, David. So what, you know, in these moments, I think it's really important for us to recognize that the solution is to, is to pray again. <laughs> like, well, okay, good point. I mean, God said this, but uh, clearly you're not convinced. So let's pray. Let's pray again. Then David inquired of the Lord yet again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Calah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thy hand. So David and his men went to Calah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Calah. The Lord answered David and said, Arise and go. And this, I don't know if you've ever looked at this, but in Scripture, this phrase, arise and go, arise and go, arise and go, it comes up over and over again. The Lord told Elijah, rise up and go, rise and go, arise. Get up from where you're at and go. The Lord told Jonah, arise and go. I've got a mission for you. I've got something for you to do. It's not good enough for you to just gather together in your little vulnerable space and to gather as a Bible study and to gather as a young adult ministry and say, oh, isn't this exciting? Isn't this fun? Isn't the worship wonderful? But some of us... We're here at the retreat right now saying, oh, this is fun. (laughs) And then we get up here and we're like, okay, let me teach you how to slay giants. Like, let me tell you how to bloody your hands and to go to war. Listen to me. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Well, of course there is. Dan taught it to us. Yesterday, Matthew 28, 19, go ye therefore, go, go, arise and go. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy 
ghost. Arise, go, there's a work to be done. Is there not a cause? Now listen, if there is a cause, if there is a cause, then the cause of Christ, the mission of salvation delivered to the world, should be more than enough for us to focus our mind on the objective. Like, okay, listen to me. All right, I'm already losing you. It's Saturday morning, and I'm up here yelling. And you're like, you're literally, you're like a baby sleeping through someone yelling at you. It's so loud, so loud. And you like a child. You're like, you're like leaning on each other. I mean, Rebecca, what are you doing right now? Girl? You guys are like, I want to be a giant killer. Get the heck out of here. What can I even do with you? I want to be the last generation. God. What do what? Is there not a cause? And if there is, you should be sitting on the edge of your seat waiting on your marching orders. We have been lulled into a a, a legitimate spiritual slumber. And we do not find our purposes in the purpose of God. What good is church? If we aren't willing to die for one another and for the name of Jesus Christ, what good is it? It's worthless. What's the objective? It's to take territory and to slay giants. That's the objective. But listen, the objectives alone, they're not enough. The company company we keep is not enough. Here's our next key point. Every company needs a captain to cling to. Now our captain, our captain is Christ. And they're his, they're his marching orders. Arise and go. That message came from God. But in the case of David's army, it was David that was their captain under the submission of God. And listen, in the case of your army, it's your pastor under the submission of God. That's how it works. That's the authority structure that God gave you. Now, when I say cling to your captain, I mean that it's of the utmost importance that we learn to love our pastors deeply. That's really easy for me to say. But listen, I'm just expositing, I'm just expositing the passage. And the truth is, the truth is that God gave me to you. And God gave you Blade, and God gave you Dan, and God gave you Tom, and, and, and God gave you Tony, God gave you Mike Renault, and God gave you men to lead you. And it's not good enough to just kind of stay in the distance and appreciate them from afar. Your heart should cling to them. You should respect your pastors and 
And you should choose to be loyal to them as long as they remain loyal to the cause. Right? As long as they remain loyal to the cause. Now, there was times where David wasn't loyal to the cause. And men followed him and did what he said, despite the fact that he wasn't loyal to the cause. And that's a real shame. And that happens in the church, too. And so what you need to remember is that you remain loyal to your pastor as long as they remain loyal to the book, as long as they remain, remain loyal to the Great Commission, as long as they, they continue to live out and, 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 and breathe and, and be consumed by the cause of Christ. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. You've got, you've got to obey your pastor, and you've got to cling to them. I want to tell you a story here. I want to give you an example. So I want to introduce to you uh, David's mighty men. He has, a, he has special forces. So there's the 400. That, that army continues to grow. But then he's got a, a, a group of 30-plus special ops, okay? These are guys that did amazing, amazing things. These were the elites within the military, and in scripture, in the, in the narrative, we see the title Mighty Men pop up, right? Pop up. And we see it in Samuel and we see it in Chronicles. And among the mighty men, there were three leaders, right? And that kind of parallels, if, if, if you will, the three that followed Christ, right? There were three that were kind of in Christ's inner circle. Um, these, were, these were the men that were the most elite, men distinct. And their names were uh, Joshua Beam. Eleazar and Shammah. Now in 2 Samuel 23, we find a story recalling how they were loyal to their captain. And in this particular account, uh, it begins with uh, David having just captured Jerusalem. Okay? He's just been anointed king. Saul dies. I hate to spoil the story. Sorry. If you haven't read it, it's a good read. You got to get into it. But I, so I'm, I'm telling you, I'm getting ahead here. But Saul eventually, he dies. And, and uh, after a short season, uh, he, uh, David is anointed again, the king, formally. And uh, they take Jerusalem. And you can read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 5. They take Jerusalem. Now in this moment, things are real, vulnerable in Israel. All right? David's just been anointed king. Some people are cool with it. Some people aren't. They just took Jerusalem. Things are, you know, they're still moving in, you know. I don't know if you've ever moved before, but that feels pretty vulnerable. And so they're moving everything into the city, and they're getting situated. And then suddenly, in the middle of that, the Philistines come to attack. Because we already know that what do Philistines do? They attack the vulnerable, right? Like they did in Kayla. So here they come. They're coming. And so David and his men, they're like, we've got to prepare ourselves for war. What do we do? Okay, let's strategize. Let's go, to the, well, let's go back to the cave of Agilom and post up there and wait for the armies to arrive and we will surprise attack them outside of the city. Good plan. Now, as they sat in the cave, David, David begins rehearsing thoughts in his mind. And he begins to go back in time and, and remember his youth. 2 Samuel 23, 13. 
And three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time under the cave of Agilom. They sat with him. They hung out with him. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in an in hold. And the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. So the, uh, they had taken David's home city. The Philistines had taken where, where, uh, the city where David was raised and grew up. And as David sat there, his mind began to wander back to his childhood. He, he thought back to his family. He thought back to the, the pleasant times in the pasture with his sheep. Easier times, right? He thought back to his hometown of Bethlehem, and he remembered fondly the people and the landscape. And as he daydreamed, listen to what he says. Verse 15, And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. There's an exclamation point there. He was real serious about it. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you remember as a kid, you remember hot summer days running around like a crazy person, having so much fun, not a care in the world, you know, and uh, riding your bike uh, all day long or like playing street football. Did any of you ever play street fall, football, you know, with all the kids in the neighborhood or basketball or whatever it is that you did? Um, I don't know what the girls are doing because I'm not a girl, but hopscotch and jump rope? I don't know what you did. I don't know what you did, but I'm sure it was fun. Um, and you're outside all day, and it's hot and sweaty, and you don't want to go in. I mean, so I kind of lived in a world where there wasn't, like, Nintendo was the only option. Uh, and so um, there weren't a whole lot of video games. Some of you were, like, outside? <laughs> you went outside? <laughs> okay, but, but, but for, for people that are healthy... We played outside all day in the summer, and you didn't want to go inside. And so what, where was it that you went to get water? The hose, baby. The hose on the side of the house. It had a different taste. It was refined. Like if, if Aquafina could just figure out how to bottle that stuff. Right? And like you, you always let someone else go in front of you because you know what was ever left over in the hose sat in the heat all day and it had an extra, it had an extra flavor. <laughs> so you let someone else get that extra flavor. Like, it was hot, it came out all hot and you're like, Whoa. it's disgusting. You put it all over your back. But it was refreshing. It's refreshing and I think about it. I think about it fondly. I think about it. A simpler time, and I go back in my mind. I'm like, man, it was so much easier when I when when I was a kid, and I was with my siblings, and we were having fun in the neighborhood. It was so much easier, and life is so hard now. And that's where David was at, and he's daydreaming, and he's he's saying, you know what? If I could just have, if I could just have a sip of that well outside of Bethlehem, man, I remember that. I remember. Spending all day in the fields running and playing with the sheep as a kid and, and learning how to shepherd and being with my brothers and wrestling around. And, and just, I remember going to that well by the gate and, and taking a sip on those hot summer days. And man, it was refreshing. And as he spoke and as he said these words with longing in his heart, these were no command. He wasn't asking anything of anyone. He's just talking about his heart. He's just sharing 
his heart. And these three mighty men sit around him. And as he begins to talk about this, they kind of look at each other. They glance over at each other. And they, one at a time, they, they slowly dismiss themselves out of the cave and they, they step outside and, and they confer with each other for a moment. They grab their weapons and they run. They start running. Through the harsh landscape. I mean, some of y'all can't even get up this hike. <laughs> These men ran 13 miles through mountainous and desert landscape. And they broke through the ranks of the Philistine army. You can imagine just, just swinging their swords and slaughtering and taking people down. And one of them saying, Shama, you, you take the well. And the other two defend as he dips a vessel down into the water and draws out, draws out the water, caps it off. And then they fight, them, fight right back through those ranks and they take off and they run another 13 miles. Listen to what they did. And the three mighty men break through the, host, uh, break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. You can imagine them presenting themselves dirty and sweaty and covered in the blood of their enemies. And David's looking at them like, what? And under one of their arms is tucked a, a canister of water from the well by the gate of Bethlehem. What could he do? What could he do with such a precious gift but offer it back to God as a sacrifice? It says that nevertheless he would not drink thereof and he poured it out unto the Lord. Now listen, I think this is a critical statement for me to make. And that's this, that this is the kind of love and loyalty that we should have for our pastors and fathers and mothers in the faith. And I get it. Like there's some of you, your, your childhood, your mothers were distant or busy or, or your dads were absent. Um, or they were abusive, or the, there was dysfunction in your home, and so it makes it really difficult for you to understand authority. But don't you long for fathers in the faith? Don't you long for mothers in the faith? Man, there's some, some of you in this ministry. One of the things that I really appreciate about you is that um, because of your background and the way that you were raised, that some of you just long for a hug from your pastor from time to time. Like you just want a moment, you just want, you just want a moment of attention because, because you know. You know you have a need in your life. You know that you need a captain. You know you need a leader. You need someone who is going to call you to something greater. We ought to embrace that. Amen? But here's our next key point. 
And this is really important to remember. The commitment we have for these different things, the, the company that we keep, the cause, the captain, all those things are great. They need to be central. They need to be important. Those commitments are, are crucial. And they encapsulate ultimately our commitment to Jesus Christ and his work. All those things just revolve around Christ. And so the key point is mighty men and women are called to a higher form of service to their king. Like, here's the deal. Do you want to be mighty? (laughs) Do you want to be one of the three? Do you want to behave and act with faith like the three? These are those that God used to achieve amazing things for his name and for the kingdom of Israel. And so the next thing we're going to talk about is courage. Courage. You guys with me? Okay. We need courage. Now the biblical record continues and it tells us about some of the exploits of these men, these three men, these mighty men. These men had a level of courage that's exceptional. Now so many of us lack courage. So many of us lack courage. We lack courage to even just share our faith, let alone fight people. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine if this was the dispensation in which you lived and you were like enlisted to kill people? Like, if you're going to love Jesus, if you're going to love God, you need to kill the bad guys. I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad that's not the dispensation we live But man, like, let's recontextualize that. Some of you don't even want to share the gospel with the people that you work with. And I don't even think that's laziness. I think that is fear. I think that, I think you are shaking in your boots. Now listen to me. We need courage. And here's the wildest thing. I mentioned this yesterday. See, these men didn't even have the Holy Spirit living in them. They didn't even have the Spirit indwelling them. You do. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and you are afraid to talk to strangers. The heck? Are any of you still afraid? Like, I hear this from time to time. Grown adults who are scared to go place an order at a restaurant. That's some of y'all in here. Like, you're afraid to talk to the waiter when they show up to the table. You're like, hi. Yes. Uh, I would like... If you're like Dan, if you're like Dan at a restaurant... He's like, so uh, how's the beefy melt today? Tell me about, tell me about your special. Say that, you, okay, you said it too fast. Can you say it again? Can I get jalapenos on that? That's literally, that's what Dan says at every single meal. Every meal, no matter what he's eating. You're getting, you're at an Italian restaurant. Can you put jalapenos on that fettuccine? Fearless. Fearless at the restaurants. 
I'm like, show some freaking respect, Dan. I don't see your mom in here anywhere. This isn't Connie's not waiting on you, okay? But, but there's a lot of us that lack courage. And that's crazy because we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. And, and we need to learn how to break through the ranks of the enemy and risk our lives for what we believe in. And so here's our key point. My, mighty men and women are called to a higher degree of courage. See, where are, where are these types of soldiers in our churches? Where are these kinds of leaders? 2 Samuel 23.8 says, These be the names of the mighty men who David had. Okay, so, so he has this group of men, the mighty men, the three, that were unique. And this is how it reads. The Tachmanite, or the, the Hakamite in 1 Chronicles 11, that sat in the seat chief among the captains, the same was Adino, which is also Joshabim, the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 men who he slew at one time. Now, I don't care. I don't care what you think. My Bible says it. This man did it. This man took a spear and slew 800 enemy soldiers. Can you imagine what that must have been like? How long did it take? I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a fist fight or you've ever been jumped. I got jumped once. I don't want to rehash all this of my past, okay? I don't like talking about it. I got jumped once. And listen to me. Your adrenaline is like, it's, it's gone in a moment. And I was just like four guys, right? And so I can't even imagine what it would like to spend all day fighting people into the night. Think about how much blood was on him. I mean, his, his clothes would have been wet with blood. And, and, and as he continued to fight, you can imagine that blood would have dried, it would have congealed, it would have gotten heavier and more blood. And just, he would have been thick with his enemy's blood. Man, only by God. Only by God could you do something like this. He defeated 800 men at one time. How many times have you had an opportunity to share the gospel And it failed, and so you quit. How many of us are afraid to share what Jesus has done in our lives? See, you can't even lift the spear, let alone wield it let alone do the thing that God's called you to do. You know, this won't surprise you. This is no crazy fact. But did you know that the number of people that you lead to Christ is relative to the number of people that you share the gospel with? (laughs) 
yeah, I, you know, I've never led anyone to Christ. It's because you've never shared. You want to lead 10 people to Christ? Share the gospel with 100. You want to lead 20 people to Christ? Share the gospel with 200. See, there's something to the numbers game, y'all. And if you want to be a giant slayer, then you've got to get some courage and you've got to determine that you're going to speak Christ at every opportunity you have. You're going to use the spear. You're going to use the sword and you are going to mean something for the kingdom. Get off the freaking bench. We have to start sharing. Where are the mighty men? Where are the mighty women? And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the, uh, the Ohite, one of the three mighty men with David. When they defied the Philistines were, that were gathered together to battle and the men of Israel were gone away, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to spoil when the others weren't around, he fought. When no one was with him on campus to make it easy to share the gospel, like I'll, I'll go share the gospel with, if I'm with my clique, if I'm with my friends from Bible study, I'll go hit the streets or I'll go out, I'll go door to door or I'll go, I'll go hang out in a coffee shop. I'll share the gospel only when I'm with my girls. This dude, this dude went alone to fight when no one else would go. Listen to what it says. It says, he fought until he could not, uh, no longer tell where his hand stopped and his sword began. <laughs> his hand clave unto his sword. Eleazar fought until he could no longer feel the difference between what the sword was and what his hand was. Can you, can you say the same thing about your thoughts and your heart and the word of God? Do you have a hard time telling where your heart stops and God's, God's heart begins? Or where your mind stops and God's mind begins? Are you that unified with your weapon of war? Are you so familiar with the word of God? Listen to me. We need more disciples. We need more people. And here's the deal. Right now, I want to call you to discipleship. If you're dragging your feet and you have not decided that you need to be mentored in the word of God, get that right. Fix that right away. It's what you need. You want to be a mighty man? You want to be a mighty woman? Get discipled. But listen to me. There's too many of you who've been discipled who are not furthering your discipleship. Discipleship does not end. It doesn't stop. So you continue to get mentored in ministry. You continue to do new things, new exploits. You, you continue into to, to D2 and into LFBI and you learn the word of God and you, you get so familiar with God's mission and his heart and his word that you don't know where you stop and his work begins. It's critical. If you want to be mighty, if you want to be serious, if you want to slay giants, verse 11, and after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, 
the Hararite, and the Philistines were gathered together in a troop where it was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great victory. This dude stood in the midst of a field and fought to defend the ground. To protect the fruit. He guarded the good ground. He guarded it. See, he saw something valuable in that field that no one else could see. Everyone else was scattering around. And he said, not this field. This, this field is important. And he got in his fighting stance and defended that sucker for hours by himself. He wasn't going to let the enemy take territory from him. He wasn't going to let the enemy take something that God has, had established as his own. And so here's the question for you. Do you faithfully guard and protect the people that God has given you? Or do you quit on them easy? See, not not enough of us are maternal or paternal enough in our discipleship. And when things get difficult, our investment becomes optional. We kind of retreat. If someone's retreating, we kind of retreat. Because I don't like how it feels. Something's not right. I'll let Blade know we've got to stop. Discipleship's not working. Man, guard the ground. (laughs) Protect what God's given you. Do you prayerfully defend the field of ministry that God's given you? Do you pray over the ministry that God's given you to do? Do you pray over it faithfully? I mean, so many of us just do ministry. What a shame. Where's the spirit in that? Where's the work of God? You gotta pray. Be circumspect. Now, did you notice anything similar about about each of these stories? Now, think for a second. When they went to go get that glass of water, glass of water, that whatever, that vessel of water, you imagine they showed up with like a a glass. (laughs) One of the mighty men was like, I discovered glass work. Now, a glass actually existed during that time, but I can't imagine the mighty men out there blowing glass. I think only rich people had glass. Art history. Okay. No, no, no. So they were together when they went to go get the water for David, but, but in each of these stories, they're alone. In each of these stories, they're alone. They had to fight alone. They were in a moment where they were alone. They had to do the work by themselves. They had to be determined that the cause of Christ was important enough for them to fight. Key point, mighty men and women display courage in battle even when they're alone. Even when you're alone, do you display courage? Are you willing to follow Christ even when no one has your flank? I mean, that's really what real courage is. The real test of courage, the real test of what you believe, is do you still follow it when no one's around? I love it. You know, I'm waking up in the morning. I see the guys in the Word of God at the retreat. They get up real early, and, and they're, getting, they're doing their quiet alone time. And I have no reason to doubt that this is what they do all the time. When no one's around, this is what they do. 
Listen to me. There's a point at which accountability with other people only goes so far. I mean, you're only accountable at the level of your relationship. And so there's times in which, you know, Blade can't be there or, or you know, uh, Michael can't be there or Jake can't be there or whoever it is, Serana can't be there to say, oh, stop that, please. That's not good. Why don't you read your Bible? You know what you should do? You see, there's times when people aren't around. And real courage says that I'm going to live out the cause when no one's looking. When there's no reward, there's no, there's, no, there's no opportunity for a pat on the back where someone's like, oh, you are the man. There's no one to do that. I mean, that's what some of you, when we talk about addicting ourselves to the ministry, the truth is that you're addicted and you're performing for other people. When no one's around, do you do the right thing? It's critical. That's, to me, that's called courage. Now, if you believe deeply in the cause of Christ, that you would follow him, even, even if you were just like Noah, you were the last righteous man on earth, then this qualifies you for the ranks of the mighty men. Now, these, these are the men who had been trained under David. You know, these are men who had heard the legend. They weren't there the day that he defeated Goliath. They heard the legend of it. They knew the story. But you know what? They believed it because they watched David in battle, right? They watched their captain. They watched him in battle, and they saw how he behaved and how he acted, and they said to themselves, it's got to be. The stories about Goliath, they just have to be because I see this dude is a stud. He's doing it. He's getting it done. Now listen, listen. They saw him in battle. They saw the spirit of God in his life and they wanted to be like him. They wanted to be like him. The mighty men were those who were disciples indeed. They followed their father in the faith. They followed their spiritual mentor and they emulated what he did. They emulated it. They saw it and they, they repeated it. And in the beginning, you know how it is. You just like, you're like watching and observing someone do something and you're kind of doing it. It feels a little bit forced and you're like learning how and it's clunky and you mess up and you fail. And it's, and, but over time, you get more proficient at it and you're like, is this right? Is this the way? And you can imagine these guys in battle watching David as he moved in and out the, 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 the ranks of the Philistines and slaying many, many, many at a time. David was the mightiest warrior that the scriptures have ever seen. And he's out there and he's doing it and they're watching it and they feel, they feel motivated. They feel excited and they say to themselves, just like David did when he, when he faced his giant, is there not a cause? And they drew their swords and they fought and they slew and they emulated the man that was their father in the faith. Now let's read about David and how late in his life he was once again facing some giants. And watch how the mighty men respond. I'm going to read this. I want you to follow along. 2 Samuel 21, 15. And this is how we'll close. And I need you to stay very focused right here because everything comes to a head. You want to be a giant killer? You want to be a giant slayer? This is where, this is where we've come to. 2 Samuel 21, 15 says this. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. Dang, these dudes do not give up. 
And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. Because, you know, the dude was getting old here. He's getting old, right? His knees weren't the same. Okay, his hip was like, oh. He's feeling faint. And his Binabob, which was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword. Isn't that interesting? A new sword, not Goliath's sword. He, he, was, he was outfitted with a new sword, a new enemy with new weaponry. It looked new. It looked different. You know, the, the, the enemy tries to reinvent itself. Like, I, I don't want to, I, I need to, I don't want to go down this line. You know, the enemy is always trying to reinvent themselves, but the, the battle plan is always the same. It's always essentially the same. Being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. They thought they finally had him. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, secured him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. In other words, hey, bro, maybe you're getting, I mean, think about how dear David was to their hearts. Think about how much they loved him. But he was limited. He was a man. He'd aged. Time had passed. And they say to him, look, we need you to rule and reign over the kingdom. Let, let us fight. And you just oversee. Because we can't afford to lose you in the fight. We can't afford that. Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And it came to pass after this, that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob, which Sebachai the Hushathite slew Saph, which was one of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle in Gob with Philistines where Elhanan, the son of Jeragoim, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a battle in Gath, where a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes, yuck, four and twenty in number, and he was, he was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath. These were four giants, and each of them fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. And here's our point. Mighty men and women have the faith and courage to slay their own giants. You know that your pastors are entrusting you. This whole idea of the next generation or whatever. The idea is this, that your pastors are entrusting you to do more than they could ever do alone.
I mean, let's be honest. Jesus Christ, when he left, he told his disciples that they would do way more than he ever could have done. Jesus Christ is entrusting you to do more than he did in his earthly ministry. And so here's the question for you. Is the work of the previous generation now your work? Is it your work? Does it belong to you? Do you own it? Do you, when you see Dan's zeal, or when you see Tony or Mason's zeal in the pulpit, and you see these men preaching, and you see them serving the Lord, do you say to yourself, I care that much and more? Whatever's burning in their heart, it burns in me, and maybe, and maybe more. Are you ready to take on giants? Ask yourself this. This is an important one. What are the giants ahead of you? What do you have to slay to be a mighty man or woman? Who are the enemies that you see? What are the fights ahead of you? See, knowing the enemy is a big deal. It affects your strategy. And finally, where is the territory that needs to be taken for Christ? Where in Lee Summit? Where in Boston? Where in Kansas City? Where in Blue Springs? Where, where is the territory that needs to be taken for Christ? Go take it. Take up your spear and preach the gospel. Take up your sword and fight the good fight. I want to invite the worship team up. And as we do, I'm going to pray a prayer over you that you would truly be, truly be the next generation of giant killers. And whatever pricked your heart or that series of questions that we just got done asking If any of that stood out to you, it's time to grab a hold of your leaders in ministry and pray with them. And it's time. Listen, there's really nothing to do here. Like, at the end of the day, you either care or you don't. And it's time to determine that your strength and your courage comes from Christ. And you can do anything he asks you to do. Anything he asks you to do. If he asks it, he can achieve it in you. You've got to determine. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for these young people. And I thank you for the opportunity, uh, the potential that lies and exists within this room. And yet, Lord, uh, we know the potential is only just potential. It's really nothing. It's a, it's a figment of our imagination. It's resting energy. It holds no value unless it takes action. And so, Lord, I pray that today you would bolster the faith of many young people. That they would do exploits for the rest of their days. 
for the kingdom of God and for the cause of Christ, that they would submit themselves under captains and they would knit themselves to a company and they would choose to face giants even if it means they're all alone. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.